Thursday the 21st of September 2017. This morning, as well as preparing David's salad box for lunch, he wanted a sandwich pack for tea time, as he has arranged to go to a friend's house to record some of the songs that he has written. He is doing this to raise money for the hospice where he works, and for Christmas presents. We are all going to be homemade Christmas presents this year. The two younger children, Rosie and Jaunty, are going to use their new sewing machines and make lavender bags for the ladies. Last year we made pretty little drawstring bags and filled them with special soaps. Maybe we will be able to make our own soap sometime. The year before last we bought hot water bottles and made drawstring covers for them. They were gratefully received as a gift given in the middle of winter. One year I particularly remember turning our music room into a sweatshop with fabric and pillows everywhere making cushions for all of my friends. I thought that I would never get straight in time for Christmas. We have also made sets of table napkins, trying very hard to tie them in with our friends' taste and preferences. It is so much more fun making presents for friends and family, and you can sow so much love into them. Spending time doing that is so much better than trying to move around in the Christmas rush, racking one's brains as to what to buy, and quite often getting it completely wrong because you are never sure what you choose for them. They haven't got already. This afternoon is creative hour in home school and when we went out on Tuesday afternoon we bought some lovely paints which we are bursting to use. Lovely candy pinks and mauves and syrupy browns. I usually encourage the children to mix up their own colours, using just the primary colours, black and white. However, just for once, we were tempted to buy already mixed secondary and tertiary colours, and the theme for this afternoon's painting has been inspired by these colours, so they're going to paint an old-fashioned sweet shop. Since David has become a vegan, he no longer eats the coleslaw, which I used to buy from the farm shop. It is the egg in the mayonnaise he is not allowed. So I've invented one which we now call Mumslaw. And at the risk of this turning into a recipe book for vegans, I shall write down the recipe. We like it very much better, in fact, than the one we used to have. Mumslaw. Half a white cabbage shredded very finely. Half a red cabbage shredded very finely. Five large carrots grated. Two red onions, finely sliced. Half a teaspoon of pink Himalayan salt. Freshly ground black pepper. Good fruity virgin olive oil. Organic cider vinegar. One teaspoon of made English mustard. One teaspoon of good honey. Put all of the shredded cabbage, grated carrot and shredded red onion into a large bowl. Now put two parts olive oil to one part cider vinegar in a measuring jug or bowl. Add the mustard and honey with a wand beater whisk until thick, smooth and opaque and all the ingredients are amalgamated. Add this to the large bowl of cabbage, carrot and onion and mix together. Cover and leave. This will go well as an addition to any meal as well as salads. Bon appétit. The sweet shop pictures were only half finished before the children ran out of steam 
and so we should continue them next Thursday. It is a work in progress. It is interesting that they were not so absorbed and engaged this afternoon as they normally are, and I'm sure it was because they did not have the extra challenge of mixing their own colours from scratch. It is always so fascinating to watch them do this and to watch as they mix shades and tints and come up with very unusual colours. They're also very competitive with it. Who can make the best brown that looks like the bark of a tree, etc. My pigeon has been on the table all day and she has been joined by another pigeon. I don't think that is her or his recalcitrant party partner as she has seen him off on a regular basis, not allowing him one tiny seed to be taken from the tray. She or he has obviously never heard of sharing. The papers yesterday and today are full of the news of a serious earthquake in Mexico City. Tragically, a school has been buried under the rubble and many, many children have been killed. Once again, it is the extremely poor that have been struck. These areas are the only places that the poor can afford to settle in. Areas that are at risk and Mexico City is very near the Ring of Fire where there is more likely to be earthquakes and volcanic activity. There is a big rescue operation going on and the usual worldwide call for aid. Just lately there have been so many disasters, it is heartbreaking. Some of these are natural disasters, but many are caused by man's treatment of the planet. I shall stop writing for a bit now to go to our allotment. I need to harvest some vegetables and to bring back the wheelbarrow for Saturday's concrete run. I think that it is broken. I remember the wheel came off in the spring when we were carting manure about. If this is still the case, David will have to repair it before Saturday. It is now evening and all the family are here except for David. We have lit the fire and have just enjoyed our supper together. I feel so blessed to enjoy so much time together and with the children being homeschooled and thriving and even though Marshall has left school, the course he is doing allows him to still spend quite a lot of time at home. It has worked out perfectly. He always has Mondays off as a study day and will still be able to come with us on our Monday morning tramp in the local woods. Friday is a morning only for him in his placement, so he will still be able to come and do sport for the little ones at the recreation ground, which he has done for the past year. Family life is truly wonderful, and yet so many, many people miss out on it because of busy lives or professional commitments, and children often come home from school with a latch key on a piece of string around their neck to an empty home with no one around to give them warm milk and a snack or help them to do their homework. I have a little book. It is very old. I think that it may have been my grandmother's. It has been in our library almost all of my life. It seems forever and I occasionally read some words of wisdom from it. And it was edited by Ronald J. Snyder Sider, and entitled Living More Simply. I should like to include the following excerpt from it. Quote, Today the family is in transition. When we have family, most of us think of mum and dad and the kids, the nuclear family. That is a relatively modern outlook. However, the concept and structure of nuclear families have emerged since World War II, 
With their arrival came seeds of isolation and alienation. The nuclear family is in trouble. Unquote. I thought long and hard about this and realised that in times gone by, for instance, in my grandmother's day, families never moved very far away from each other. They were around to offer support when it was needed. Grandparents were only too pleased to take on the traditional role of child carers if it was necessary, and mothers simply had to go out to work to help supplement the family income. They were often, in old age, living with their daughters or sons anyway, for the loving support of their family, for themselves. Everyone took responsibility for each other when the time came for the older or more infirm members of the family's vulnerability and needs to be met. I am always so sorry to hear when parents are moved into care homes because there is no other way of managing financially unless two incomes are coming into a home. They seldom really want to go at that stage in their lives to a strange place with their most intimate needs provided by complete strangers. Or is there? Only 60 or 70 years ago? It was common even in the poorest families for one parent to stay at home and run the home. That's usually the woman, and the man went out to be the breadwinner for the wife or partner who stayed at home. Most women took a pride in her position, recognising it to be a pivotal and important one in the lives of all of her family. Her role was nourishing them, making sure that they always had an appropriate, clean wardrobe, that the home was always warm and welcoming on their return from work or school. Her job was very every bit important as the breadwinner. She would be cook, housekeeper, teacher, nurse, comforter and listener, providing sympathy whenever it was needed and an expert wiper away of tears. Some would say a noble profession, a worthy occupation to be proud of. I have not worked away from home since Carla was two years old. I was teaching nursery nurses at the time and was able to take Carla to work with me. One day, I suddenly realised that there I was teaching the importance of children being of paramount importance and the value in a settled charter without pressures and all the time I was rushing out of the door to get to work. Hurried breakfast, eaten in the car. Everything I believed in, I was not practising. I decided to give up work and embark on a new profession. Motherhood and housewife. Old-fashioned words that I am not afraid to use. Many friends would say, what about your intellect? Won't you get bored? You will really miss the money. What are you going to do all day? At first there was much to do. I began to wonder how on earth I had managed to go out to work in the first place. My friends thought I was entering la-la land, that I would become bored and boring. Far from it, during the children's rest times, while watching them sleep peacefully, I could read all those wonderful intellectual books that I had been given or had bought over the years and had never had time to read before. I was able to resurrect my love of cooking, which was largely sacrificed too easy to prepare meals after a busy day of teaching. My old Edwardian cast-iron sewing machine was brought out from the back of a cupboard and I made clothes for Carla or just made things for gifts. There it sits, always at the end of our very long kitchen table, always at the ready. The house began to smell of polish 
and I discovered the delights of upcycling and charity shops. I felt more alive, more useful to myself and to everyone else, and I was never tired, which I frequently was before, but most importantly, I've never regretted it and I've never wished to be back at worse. Writing is my hobby and has become a sort of work as well. In the old days, people lived within their incomes and their means and money were saved My upcycling and old worn things. Upcycling is a new modern name, I know, but the principle is not a new thing at all. There was plenty to do and wives and mothers had the time to raise their children. With no time restraints to cook meals from scratch and to take pride in their homes, no matter how worn or shabby it was, always smelling fresh of newly polished furniture and even without many of the modern day gadgets and machines. Washing was whiter than white and beautifully ironed. All traditional household skills that nobody wants to know anymore. The sad thing is that I am told there is a generation out there that can no longer cook since they have long ago abandoned proper domestic science in schools. Their mothers are no longer able to set the example and teach the skills that have been traditionally passed down from mother to daughter for generations because they work. Or their mothers did and they never learned these skills themselves. We have become a consumer society, a must-have society, and when we get it we are immediately bombarded with adverts to buy more and more, so we have to earn more and more to pay for it. We need to stop. Take a large breath and ask ourselves, is this what I really want? Am I really happy? If the answer is no, then we must turn around and restructure our life to the one we really want. Many people tell themselves that they will work very, very hard until they are 40 and then take early retirement. Some years ago, I had reason to be in an intensive care unit waiting for someone to regain consciousness after a serious brain hemorrhage. I was sitting in the waiting room with four or five other young women, all there for their young husbands or partners. All of their partners worked in the city. All had had strokes. They ranged in age from 30 to 40 years old. They were all working all the hours that God gave in order to retire early and rich and never work again. It was a time of big salaries and big bonuses. Some of these people didn't recover. It reminded me of the parable that Jesus told of the rich man filling his barns, only to have his soul called upon before he could enjoy what he had saved. One just has to ask, how much do I need? I once lived a life of luxury, and now we, as I have told you, live very close to the ground, trying to tread as lightly as we can upon the earth. When we do spend money on luxury as we did on Marshall's 16th birthday by going to see the musical Lion King in London, we really appreciated it and tried to maximise on it by doing as much as we could while we were in London. We even went to the top of the shard. Amazing, electrifying and for me terrifying as I'm not good with heights. We came back tired and happy and informed that day and still have lively discussions about it. A good time was shared by all. 
It is now pelting down with rain. I've been sitting here watching it, and I thank God that I can find so much pleasure in watching its merry dance on bushes and pebbles and stone and grass. In the moment when it stops raining, which I think it will, I should go to the garden and smell it. I think that it will smell like summer rain. And I thank God that I have the time to enjoy this simple pastime. The children are playing quietly and it will soon be time for their bedtime prayers. Their little faces are so precious and their innocence still shines out of them. As I look at them, I am reminded of words from a wonderful book that my dear friend May bought me for Christmas in 1998. It is called Anamkara by John O'Donoghue. He says, Against the affinity of the cosmos and the silent depths of nature, the human face shines out as an icon of intimacy. It is here in this icon of human presence that divinity in creation comes nearest to itself. The human face is the icon of creation. Each person also has an inner face, which is always sensed but never seen. The heart is the inner face of your life. The human journey strives to make this inner face beautiful. It is here that love gathers within you. Love is absolutely vital for human life. For love alone can awaken what is divine in you. In love you grow and come home to yourself. John O'Donoghue has written many more books in the same vein and they all are very wise and very beautiful. What I thought was the same pigeon sitting out on the table this evening clearly isn't. This one is definitely one of the babies as there is a lot of down around her neck. They're so tame and even when Raphael Labrador barked at her she still stood her ground. I'm calling this one a she because she's so pretty. David says I can't because in animals invariably it is the male who is more attractive. He's right of course but in this, in this instance I should ignore him. Male or female had better put more food up. Something softer maybe. I have some sweet corn that I would grate up for her and some chopped fresh kale which I picked when we went to the allotment this afternoon for the wheelbarrow. I shall put that out now before it gets too dark. Another of Davy's poems, I'm the rippling water bloke. I'd like to be your soap, would you like it to be me? Though I'd rather be the lather as it gathers round your knees. I'd like to earn the right to turn the taps on while you soak, for I'm the gushing water. I'm the gushing water broke. I like to be the back and size and bottom of your tub. Would you like me as your flannel that caresses as you rub? And I'll be the warmer water that your body has displaced, and the dampness of your hair and the steam about your face. The condensation on the window panes and the mist as thin as hope. For I am the trickling water. I'm the trickling water bloke. I'd like to be the water that around your body flows. Would you like me as the bubbles you're creating in your toes? I'd like to feel the heave of every breath within your chest. And I'd like to be a ripple as it laps against your breast. For if you fall asleep, I'd be there as you awoke. For I am the rippling water. I'm the rippling water bloke.